and turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We'll read Acts chapter 3 from verses 11 through to the end. And we're continuing in our study of the book of Acts. The Acts of the Holy Spirit and the Acts of the Apostles and Company. Acts 3, 11. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murder to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof you are we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it, and did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Let's pray. Father, give understanding to our minds and hearts, and give, Lord, power to our wills, that we may indeed act upon what we hear and do so to the glory of your holy name, which we pray through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Repent or perish is what I've entitled this. The worship service is over. As you recall last time, 
Peter and John were on their way to the probably afternoon evening prayer worship meeting that was conducted every day in the temple. And it reads again in 11. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Peter and John, and that once lame man, that as it is described, literally clung to them, you know, like bees to honey, <laughs> left the inner court toward the outer court of the temple, probably through the gate beautiful that they met at originally, walking on their way to what's called the porch or walkway that's held up by columns, which was of course named uh, after Solomon. Here is this large crowd of people gathered there, just waiting for them to come out. Word gets around really quick, let me tell you. I mean, if in the preaching of Peter, he could gather at least minimal 3,000 souls, and we know it was more than that, of course. Um, that excitement had not waned yet. And especially after this first miracle upon the preaching or after the preaching of Peter. And what an opportunity of a lifetime. I've always wished that I could preach to a coliseum of folks like Billy Graham did for many, many decades with the truth. We did, by the way, uh, uh, give out tracts at one of his uh, uh, special gatherings that took place here in San Diego years ago. Almost had the opportunity to meet him, but not quite. <laughs> Anyway, it was uh, another matter which I won't bring up at this time um, that we were there for to um, hopefully edify the people of God that were gathered at that occasion of um, his crusade. Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel, what, why do you marvel at this? Like, why are you surprised? Why do you look at us so earnestly as if we had some power or another, or our holiness had something uh, connected to God that would result in, in this healing. Why are you staring at us? <laughs> you ever had somebody stare at you and you have to actually tell them, stop staring at me. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, that was his experience and unlike other so-called miracle workers that have come since that are in the visible church, even today, even in parts of the church that, uh, that believe in the continuation of the miracles, which have ceased, by the way, since the apostles have gone to be with the Lord. Who want to share the glory with God. That tells you right away, red flag, right? Because it's not about us. It never has been and never will be. If God is in it, and boy, God was in this. God is definitely in this. In verse 13, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob the God of your fathers hath glorified his son, Jesus. Whom you delivered up, denied in the presence of Pilate. You yourselves were there. And he's talking up close now. I mean, he had a much larger crowd before. And now it's, it's down to this smaller subset of that. And he's telling them face to face, almost like point blank. 
you were there. He uses covenant language to draw them in. This is the Old Testament. To bring them back to where it's at. Because it begins in the Old Testament. In other words, in the Word of God. That's all they had at that time, as you know. This crippled man was cured because of God's Son who is glorified. Yes, glorified in what he did, but glorified in his saving his people from their sins because that's why he is called Jesus. In Isaiah 52, it is said of him by the prophet. Isaiah, by the way, is the most evangelical Old Testament prophet of them all. In fact, his, his book, people have called the Gospel according to Isaiah because he has so many references and prophecies and types and uh, foreshadowings of Messiah, of the Savior. He says in, in Isaiah 52, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Indeed, he was. he was. He was resurrected from the dead, and he was made higher than the heavens in his ascension. And it goes on to say, And so shall he sprinkle many. Now, what do you think that's in reference to? He shall sprinkle many nations. What do you think that's all about? But the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, according to Peter, when he talked about how that is how we are saved. The king shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they hear or see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Peter, speaking again to the audience, you all had a part in this. You were there when they crucified my Lord. Pilate was, ready, Pilate was ready to let them go. And what did you do? You stood in the way. When he was ready to declare his innocence, when he says, I find no fault in him. Jesus, you're a free man. Not unless we have something to say about it. When it was in your power, you handed him, literally handed him back to Pilate to be executed. Crucify him. Crucify him. You literally cried for blood. You are like a lynch mob. This is what he told them right through their faces. He denied his rightful place as your Messiah as the king of the Jews. And in so doing, you denied justice to him, which was to be complete acquittal. Because there's nothing that could hold him unless it was fabricated from outright lies. And he wasn't done yet in verse 14. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you. In other words, they denied the very Holy One of God. Christ was referred to upon his birth as that holy thing that would save Israel from, his, from, from their sins. The just one, the very one who alone can save us from our sins, according to John in his letter. And here John is speaking. Of course, John, the whole time, I think, is just a quiet uh, uh, standard by, uh, as Peter is doing all the talking. But, but, but he has something very, very significant to say, too. And let me turn you to it. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. 
My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous or the righteous one. He can be your advocate, your lawyer. He can plead your case because he is a successful lawyer with a 100% success rate, by the way. And, and by the way, his judgments are always right on. He will never miss and never make a mistake and judge anyone who is uh, needing justice, justice. He will never deny that. In our sins, we deserve hell. And yes, he will, he will meet that out to those who are without him as their advocate. But for those who have him as their advocate, for those who have him as their propitiation, as it goes on to say, and he is the propitiation for our sins. That means the one who has paid for our sins. Propitiate means to appease the wrath of an angry God who is angry against our sins. He has done it. Those who trust in him and plead Christ as their advocate and savior will be vindicated or released, justified, and counted as innocent. Because God hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But Peter is still not done in his argumentation, for he sets forth in verse 15 a third reason, and kill the prince of life whom God has, hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. You kill the very author of life, the very one who gives life, physical life, and eternal life. The one in whom we live and move and have our being. And what? What do you ask for from Pontius Pilate when he says, we've got to release somebody according to, to, to your uh, custom at an occasion like this, and they release what? A criminal instead of Christ. And nevertheless, God brings him back to life. He raises him from the dead, whereof we are witnesses, says Peter. Getting back to this former cripple who's right there in the midst of them, in this, in this uh, stage, as it were, in the porch. He's in perfect health, and why? He goes on in 16, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom you see and no. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Through faith in Jesus' name? Who's ever heard that? I know that, that uh, they hated that name, but perhaps at this point we're having, we're starting to change their mind about this name. This is to say that this name which represents Jesus, even the very name of Jesus or Yeshua, which means Savior, through faith in that name, he has this perfect health before you all. If our <coughs> Lord Jesus was still here, he was doing miracles. This is the kind of miracle that he did, do you recall? It says in Matthew, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness, every sickness that came his way, he would heal. And every disease among the people. Talk about 100% uh, success ratio. And he's still doing it only through us. And he will get all the glory and not us. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and hath given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Glory. And now, brethren, I don't know, I know I should say that through your ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God hath before showed by the mouth of all of his prophets, every single one of them, not just Isaiah, not just Abraham, who was not really a prophet, prophet, but, but foretold of the coming of Christ, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Peter, just like He's saying, just like your leaders, you did that out of ignorance. In fact, all of the prophets saying, said that this would happen, that Jesus should suffer. It just so happened that it was by your instrumentality, in part, that it did. And here you are. The very ones that crucified the Son of God. And for those who come to him in faith, the very ones for whom he prayed, on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so, where does that leave us? What do we do? What do we do with all this information? How do we process this? Where do we go from here? Isn't that the question? Or do we just simply just go our separate ways and leave people hanging like, like we don't care. We don't care. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because while there's bad news, and we must always give the bad news, it is in order that it might lead up to the good news. And so Peter goes on to say in verse 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus himself is vindicated. He is glorified, as I said. And he's reigning at the right hand of the Father. The truth is, right now, until you come to Christ, you're on trial. Just like he was on trial unjustly. And we apostles are witnesses not only of Jesus, but now of you. And if you hear me now, and you repent of this terrible crime that you have committed, and all of your sins as well, you will be saved. You will experience this refreshing. You will experience this clearing of your conscience. You will experience such a peace that you cannot describe it. A peace that passes understanding. For those who are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then on top of that, we have the peace of God that passes all understanding. We talk about how our sins and the sins of all of the elect were like the nails and the thorns and those 
instruments that were used to bludgeon our Lord and ultimately execute our Savior. How much more the involvement of those like these that were in the jury, as it were, of that court of Pontius Pilate. How much more their sins. And not only them, Peter himself, who was the one who denied his Lord how many times? Once? Twice? Three times? And then caught crew. There is in one of our churches in Manitowoc, a rooster that supposedly was there when they crucified our Lord. To remind us, to remind us how in many ways all of us are like Peter. How difficult this may have been for him. And yet he was called to the task of calling others to repentance, having been there and done that. Unless you think that we're off the hook, how about when we sin? John talks about if any man sin, meaning to say if any believer, any Christian commits sin, so that means to say that we do sin, right? Think about this. How it is like crucifying the Son of God afresh. And I realize that that's a reference to those who would commit the sin of apostasy. I realize that, that, that this is tantamount to that. But nevertheless, if you think about it, is it in a sense like we are doing that to our Lord when we sin, especially conscionably or presumptuously? And do we do that? Is that possible to do? I dare say so in light of examples in the scriptures. So, where am I? The application. We believe in application. The Canadian Reformed Churches believe in application. I know they do. <laughs> Meaning to say, uh, we, we have the influence of not only the Dutch, but also of the English and the Puritans in particular. And they're uh, subscribing, or I should say, uh, holding steadfastly to experimental and experiential preaching of the word. And not just simply preaching the broad strokes of the historical redemptive story of salvation. But how does it apply home? How does it come home? Because that's the only way that preaching will serve its purpose, its God-ordained purpose. So how about you in the audience now, and myself included? We're all around the world, are we not? Are you broken by your sins when you commit sin against God? Even a sin that is somewhat ethereal like worldliness, you know, that causes us to just kind of take rabbit trails and wander off uh, the beaten path of truth and the, the, the straight and narrow way of Christ. I bid you to repent. Just as Peter bid his audience, I bid you to repent. Even of that nonchalantness and uh, ambivalence and uh, carefreeness. I mean, we have it so good in America. But if we were to take statistics about uh, uh, service to our Lord in terms of just those things that every Christian, every church should be about, 
I don't know. I don't know about you, but I, I, I have a sense that the, the, the churches and lands that are being persecuted now where Christians are meeting underground, even as we are meeting here now, out in the open, are faring a lot better. And I'm not saying that because I'm a statistician or anything like that, a poll taker. I'm just with my eyes hopefully open to what's here and everywhere else. One day Jesus will return and he will refresh the whole creation, it says in the Bible, it says in our passage. It says, and he shall send Jesus Christ, the Father, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. What's that? That's when the Lord brings it all together. That's the judgment day. That's the day we will all stand before God. Every nation will be either on his right hand or on his left. And they will either have his accolade, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you, into everlasting fire with the devil and his angels. That day is coming. Paul says, when the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You want to be ready for that day? You know how to be. You know how to how to be ready for that big one. It's not by uh, uh, packing up your four by and uh, and going out to uh, Idaho and uh, and buying some land and homesteading and and and, and uh, setting up uh, you know your your life on that homestead. I mean that's fine if you want to do that, but that's not how you're going to anticipate this day. Just like those in Noah's day didn't expect it coming, did they? And how many were saved in Noah's day? Count them on your finger. One family. You want to be ready for that day? I'll tell you how. This is the secret. By doing, by being ready every day. By being ready every day. Someone says, if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. And put in the biblical and Christian context, that means that you are walking with Jesus, that you're walking with the Lamb, that you're following Him wherever He goes, and you're, you're saying to Him in prayer and saying to Him in song, where you lead, I will follow. Where you lead, I will follow. Wherever it takes me, wherever you go, I will go. My people, your people will be my people. Your Father will be my Father. You will be Savior. That's, that's how you prepare. That's how you're ready. Like someone who I knew, by the way, I, I, I just mentioned this. I, I was given this uh, very uh, uh, wonderful uh, treasure of, uh, of a diary of, of, of someone, uh, of a former pastor. And uh, you know what he would do? What was in his diary? It was all about Christ. It was all about the Gospels. Every day he would begin by reading from one of the Gospels. Every day. And he, and, and he said somewhere there that uh, how that the passion of Christ humbles him, brings him to his knees, and brings his heart to Christ every day. And that's how he, he chose to begin every day. And by the way, this, this person was handicapped. And so he, he spent his, his days profitably. So when that 
day, that great day rolls around, whenever that is, you'll be, as we say, good to go. Not that you're good to go. Only Christ is good to go and good for us. But you will be good to go. Job said this, and I'll close with this. In Job 42, 5 and 6. Job 42. That's the very, very, very end of this long and arduous path of God's suffering servant. It says in 42, 5 and 6, what? I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Meaning he has seen the Lord. It's as if he had this vision or was fast-forwarded to that day of the eschaton. And then he says this, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, oh, that your word may humble us, may humble us to the very core of our beings, may humble us so that, Lord, we come to the end of ourselves. And, Lord, not that you want us to be demented and and uh, out of our minds and wanting to take our lives or anything like that. No, far from it, Lord. We, we're just so full of ourselves that we need to do this, that we need to refresh in this way so that, Lord, by coming, by coming to the end of ourselves, we come, as someone said, to the beginning of God in our lives. Do this, Lord, we pray. Help us, O oh God, using your word to this end, to accomplish this goal in our lives. We desperately need it. We desperately need it. Each and every one that is in this room right now desperately need it, needs it, whether he realizes it or she realizes it or not yet. But Lord, we desperately need you. Help us so that we may have you. You who are our hope. You are our life. You are our love. You who are our all in all. We pray this in your most precious and holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.